The Real Estate Sessions is sponsored by AdWorks. AdWorks makes digital advertising brilliantly simple. Choose your zip code and build your brand. Enter an address and promote your listings. Or upload your list and stay top of mind with your sphere of influence. And if you go to adworks.com slash billrisser, you'll do more than just build brand awareness or nurture your network. Right now, you get to save 15% off your purchase, and I get to send 10% to the Colon Cancer Alliance, an organization that means a great deal to me. That's www.adworks.com slash Bill Risser. I just love hanging out with people and having cerebral conversations with people and, you know, getting to know people and having people that have my back because I'm going to have their back, you know, that kind of thing. And it just so happened that these people, they sell real estate for a living. And and I do home loans for a living. And once we decided that we actually kind of like each other, we just decided that maybe we should work together. And it, and it organically worked out like that. Welcome to the Real Estate Sessions, where industry leaders share their stories and offer tips and advice to real estate professionals. Now your host, Bill Rissa of Fidelity National Title in Tampa, Florida. As I scrolled through the lineup over the last year and a half of the real estate sessions, I noticed a dearth of mortgage professionals. Now, that could be something psychological from my 10 years running an escrow branch and dealing with some crazy LOs, or or it's simply a massive oversight on my part. So I'm going to start correcting that with my guest on episode 81. I've known Shane Hollenbach of Nova Home Loans in Gilbert, Arizona for about eight years. And I also know that Shane is exceptional at his craft. He puts customers' needs first, and, and he excels at building relationships within the industry. So I'm, I'm really excited to talk to him. Shane, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Bill. I know that uh, you've lived in Phoenix for a long time, but I also know that you were all over this country. So where, where does Shane Hollenbach start his life, <laughs> and what are, what's, the, what's the path <laughs> look like to get you here to Phoenix? Wow, oh, it's, <laughs> it's kind of a, it's a crisscross. Um, I was originally, well, I was born in Missoula, Montana. I had parents that, uh, they got divorced from my brother and I have a twin brother. You know, my dad was enterprising. He ended up following the oil boom in North Dakota um, when we were five, six years old. My mom was established. She was still in Missoula, which is, you know, where we lived. So we stayed there and my dad went and ventured off to North Dakota to kind of stake his claim during that 80s oil boom. Fast forward a couple of years. Uh, my mom decided to leave what she was doing, which she cut hair for years and years, and she had an opportunity through another friend to move to a place called Glendale, Arizona. And most people from Montana, they leave, but they usually go to Seattle or they go to North Dakota, and my mom decided to jump down to Phoenix. Because that happened, my dad at that point was now established, and she was getting ready to start over, so my brother and I ended up moving to North Dakota to go live with him. And she established herself. So we were in North Dakota for three years. Then the oil boom kind of became a bust. And that, the short version, that took my dad to Seattle. And since my mom was now established in Arizona, we moved to Tempe. And we enrolled in Tempe's junior high. After a while, my dad was in Seattle. My mom got, she was, at this point, not cutting hair. She was working for Sharp Electronics at corporate. And she got relocated to to, uh, Minneapolis. And so... That move was a great move for her. My dad's established. She's not. So we end up moving to Seattle. So it's really hard to not count Seattle as one of my homes. It's where it's where we did most of our growing, most of our, you know, get into trouble and take your licks and 
that's where a lot of our friends are. Much of my family is actually in the Northwest. So yeah, so I've got a few homes. Arizona's a hundred percent. This is home. Montana's where my roots are, and Seattle's where I did my kind of my my growing years. So yeah, kind of all over the place. Through all the years I've known you, there were many trips to Seattle and to Montana because that's where yeah. you had those connections. Yeah, you have you're at that's home. So I'm guessing your parents got along okay because they they did the kid shuffle pretty good there to kind of it looked like to take care of each other. Is that a fair assessment? Absolutely. Good. No, my. My parents are still, uh, they're still very good friends. My, and, you know, I mean, we're obviously fast forwarding, but my, my dad lives here. He moved down here a few years ago, a number of years ago at this point. And my mom and, and her husband, my stepdad, uh, they live here as well and here in Arizona. And they worked very, very hard with each other to make sure that we were always good. So you're in high school up in Seattle. Um, my guess is you weren't thinking at that point, I can't wait to get out of here and become a successful loan officer. What didn't you wanna, even know what that was. What did you want to do? <laughs> I actually, I my entire aspirations growing up, um, I wanted to be in law enforcement. Okay. I either wanted to be just a just a, a straight up police officer, um, and then I really got into the when I was going to school, I got the idea of detective, and I you know I've got friends that have gone down that that road. Um, you know, I even thought FBI, so I was even thinking more of a federal kind of a position. But that's that was my aspiration, I, law enforcement. What did you do right out of high school then? I went back to school and tried starting, you know, my college career in Bozeman, Montana. That didn't last very long. I ended up. I had. A, I have a two. My I have a twin brother. My cousins are twins. We're six weeks apart. We grew up together. We're like the bat four. When we were little, I paired up with my cousin Ryan. My brother paired up with his cousin Darren. And they were inseparable, we were inseparable, and then you fast forward to college years, Ryan and I went to Bozeman, they went to Dillon, which is western Montana. And I was a socialite, and so I ended up spending way too much time in college not doing schoolwork. I ended up really doing excellent and socializing and partying and doing all that stuff. <laughs> nice. But uh, that, that led me to go back after that single semester I thought, you know, I got to do something different because I'm not focusing here. So I'm going to go to back to Missoula and go to the university and I'll be closer to home. I'll end up, you know, taking it more serious, I guess. And what had happened is I ended up having more family because in all that I ended up knowing more people. I ended up having a bigger party agenda. And so I got through about a half of a semester of my second semester of college and my uncle, he just said, hey, why don't you just talk to a recruiter? He ended up connecting me with a recruiter and pledged my allegiance to the United States Air Force. When you joined the Air Force, where do you, for where's first of all, where's boot camp? Where does that? I'm not even sure where that works. That's I know about Lackland Air Force Base. That's San Antonio, Texas. So you come out of. I know generally when you go into the military, you come out with some sort of a training in some sort of specialized area. What was your area of expertise? My area of expertise when I when I went in, it was it was uh, EOD, which is Explosive Ordnance Disposal. Bomb Squad, there's a bunch of different names for it. It's the guys that disarm munitions. I ended up, you know, thinking that I was in love with a girl, and so I changed my MOS, which was, you know, which is your job, and so that I could, it could take me back to Phoenix after basic training. So you're back in Phoenix. Um, I'm assuming the, that love didn't work out. No, no, of course I didn't. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't supposed not. to. Of course not. Actually, the so, funny thing is, is that we're still great friends. Good. That's awesome. Yeah. And 
there's probably some wanderlust in young Shane Hollenbeck at the time because I know absolutely. I know talking to you that you you lived for about a year in Spain, right? There's a book that came out around that same time when I was about 24 years old. It was called Quarter Life Crisis. And I don't know if it was daytime TV or Oprah or whatever it was where I saw it. I was like, yeah, yeah, that's me. So I've got a, a, a close friend of mine who was an exchange student with my family in Montana. She's from Barcelona and she's, you know, for all intents and purposes, family to me. And so I literally called her and I just said, hey, how about I come out and visit you? And I flew out there and I spent a couple of weeks in Barcelona. From the time that I landed in the airport to literally taking the car back to her, to her place, or it was her parents' house, everything felt right about where I was, my surroundings. Like when I dropped my bags off and met the family, because um, I hadn't seen them in years, and then we would just went for a walk. And so now we're literally, they live in downtown in a very metropolitan part of Barcelona. And we're walking the streets, and at this point, it's, I don't know, midnight, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning. And everything about it just felt right. And that feeling never stopped. Even when I, when I was done with my vacation, and it bothered me for like a year. And so I just decided that, you know, what if I just moved over there and just see, just see how it goes. After this vacation, you come back to Phoenix. You, you, feel, you realize you're, you're not in your place. You go back to Spain. And yeah. how long do you spend there on that trip? Well, at this point, it wasn't really a trip. This was, uh, okay. so, okay, so a, a, a buddy of mine who's, who's essentially a brother of mine, he's kind of the same, we're very aligned. He was in Seattle at the time, I was in Phoenix, and, and I called him up, and I just said, hey, what do, you, what do you think about this crazy idea? And the funny thing is, I was hoping that he'd say no, so I could just go back to work and focus on being an adult, which is what I was supposed to be doing. And he said, yeah, no, that actually sounds great. <laughs> and so... It turned into, are you serious? And yeah. And so we ended up about nine months, we ended up preparing for it and saving and, you know, figuring out our affairs. Our intention was to go over. We don't know, didn't know what was going to happen. You know, life just makes weird turns. But our intention was to go with the intention of staying. The Spanish government was very cool to me. They basically said, we don't care that you're here. Um, you're just not going to be able to be like legitimate. So the whole <laughs> Pay taxes, get your house, you know, raise a family. All that was, they said, ah, you're, until you do it right, you know, you got to unwind and you got to start over. And, and when I found out what needed to be done, which was come back to the States, go start the process through the State Department, there was like this 90-day thing that I had to come back here. It was just, it turned into, wow, this is, this is pretty crazy, especially when I don't even know what it is that I want to do or am going to do if I am legitimate here, you know, with immigration status. So my buddy and I that I was there with, we kind of looked at each other and said, well, let's, I guess we're going back to the States, but we don't have to go right now. And we just went on a big tour, which was, which was a, turned out to be a very good thing because we got a bunch of travel out of our systems. At the time that I found out about, like, it was very apparent about my immigration status there. Like if I wanted to do it right, this is what's going to happen. My mom was one of her, colleagues at Sharp Electronics started a mortgage company, a small mortgage company out of her house. They were really close friends um, in their prior career. And Diane is the one that got my mom in the mortgage business. Fast forward a little while, she ended up uh, going over to another company and she was doing well enough that it was time for her to have an assistant. 
and they said you can hire anybody you want let's just do this and so my mom called me I just want to let you know that I have this opportunity and you know before I before I pull anybody else into this I just want to talk to you about it and I want to you know I want to offer it to you and yada yada she had no idea what I was dealing with with immigration and so it just it all of the all the dice kind of fell how they were supposed to so we went went on a little bit of a Western European tour and traveled and got it out of our system and I moved back to the States and literally she picked me up in the airport on a Friday and uh, Saturday I went and got a car. She had to co-sign on the car because I didn't have anything and uh, went and got a cell phone on Sunday and now I'm right back into you know life again and on Monday I started the job, first day in the mortgage business. Wow. So, what what year is this? Is this like O two? This is around two thousand, okay. two thousand one, two thousand one ish. Okay, two thousand. So, yeah. Great time to get back in the business because you're getting ready to head into a run up that like we yeah haven't seen before. It was amazing timing. So, let's let's kind of fast forward out of there to where I met you. So it was I think it was closer to two thousand nine. So we'd already kind of yeah. hit the dark days, but yeah. you and I were at a WordPress camp. In uh, yeah. in Phoenix, uh, yeah, right in South Phoenix, and uh, I I met you there and uh, started a kind of a relationship because of the other realtors that were there and people like I think Justin McHood was there and Nick Bastian yeah. was there and so we had this this start. My guess is you were embracing social media pretty early on when it was rolling around, right? And as part of that, your wife's you know because of your wife Lori at the time. That, uh, a thousand percent. Okay, so explain that a little bit to the audience about how how so, you embrace social so early and what your wife was doing. So in two thousand, I don't know, eight or so. My wife's background is television, but marketing, it just inside the television industry, and she was uh, digital media. Uh, that was her. That was her. Became kind of her her deal. And so this is like the advent of Twitter. This is, I think, man, Facebook wasn't even. It was just. I think it was just released to the public where remember in the early days it was college only. Right. It was, uh, this is like early social, right? And she knows that I'm a social person, but I don't, I don't know anybody. My entire career was, you know, was, was builder. It wasn't realtors. It wasn't anything. So she literally went and made me a Twitter account and then she started following. She understood how it worked. She started following people like Nick Bastian, Bill Risser, Jay Thompson. Um, there was a there was a lot of people that were Arizona was a pretty good real estate hotspot for social at the time. She basically handed me my account and I I didn't even understand how it worked. It took about a day, and all of a sudden now you're engaging people that are like minded in the industry, you know, yada yada. And so it was a hundred percent my wife. The business that I have today was because of what she did. I just creating me an account and saying, go get them, which is how I met you. I, I hate using the word early day because it's like somehow it like invokes that we're some pioneer. It was, it was a social media thing, but it just wasn't as noisy. It was a, it was a lot less people. I mean, you and I, I, you know, we engaged each other, you know, off and on, but only online. Right. So not this whole IR, IRL thing. Right. And so it was that word camp that I met you and it was pretty much all hugs <laughs> because that was the, that was the power of social media. You literally, there, all the walls come down. 
So when I met all of these other people in real life, we already kind of knew each other. Right. Right? Yep. So you didn't have to like do the, oh, hey, hi, Bill, I'm Shane. And, you know, I don't know. It was a really cool time. Even today, I know how social you are. And I know I never see you online pitching anything, uh, promoting anything. Everything you do online, in, in my opinion, well, I think you do it the right way. It's all about engaging people and listening to them and having conversations. Look, how, how, much look, of your, how much of your business comes from that? Okay, so I just said earlier that my wife, I, had, I get to you know, give her all the credit for my business as it is today. The lion's share of my business comes from a small uh, group of friends that were created from this social media space. I don't do, I, I'm like the worst marketer, I'm the worst salesperson. Um, the thing that, the reason why I love this business and why I didn't leave when it got ugly, you know, during the, the downturn is because I love people and it's not, it's, I, I do not mean that in the cliche way of, you know, Hey, everybody, every single person is a, can be a client of mine because I love everybody. I, I just love hanging out with people and having cerebral conversations with people and, you know, getting to know people and having people that have my back because I'm going to have their back, you know, that kind of thing. And it just so happened that these people, they sell real estate for a living and, and I do home loans for a living. And once we decided that we actually kind of liked each other, we just decided that maybe we should work together. And it, and it organically worked out like that. My business model today, a lot of people disagree with me, but I do not market new realtors. I do not market, I don't do any marketing at all. If there's anybody new that I want to work with, it's only because it's only because that person I met through another friend of mine in the business and that person is a friend of theirs. If somebody that I love and adore has somebody that they love and adore, it's probably pretty likely that I'm probably going to get along with them and they're probably going to get along with me and that's how my business has grown. You know, I've got fringe relationships that come from transactions and things like that, but the lion's share of my business are all fostered from back then when you and I first, you know, you're, you are just as much a part of that as everybody else is in my life today. Yeah. It's a, I love looking at it that way. Um, it, these, these are deep relationships to go back to. It really kind of was the early days in Phoenix and uh, that that's a lot of fun. I want to switch gears a little bit with you and there, there are other ways to generate business using digital strategies like social networks, but um, yeah. you know, more, more like lead gen and conversion stuff. And I think you have in your past, you know, in, in, in the industry, you've played in that space too, right? A little bit, yeah. uh, loosely. And I mean, a lot bit, uh, as far as anybody else is concerned, but really a little bit, the, the space that I played in was that I was just a part of a, of a bigger, of a bigger idea. Um, you know, you, you referenced a guy named Justin McCood earlier. That's one of the smartest guys as far as exactly what you're talking about, lead generation and digital and all that. He's an old friend. I mean, he's, 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 uh, we met on Twitter <laughs> right. and we met in real life at a, at, a, at a meetup. He was behind a lot of that. Um, there are other, you know, other people that were behind that, but I was definitely, um, I got recruited to the company that I, I just recently left, but I got recruited to that company in 2010 to help run a branch. It was a new concept, but um, there were some people that behind it, you know, Justin included, and, and my friend Steve. 
we were going to create a, a mortgage branch that was literally just ran off of leads that were generated and um, online lead generation. And then we had a group of LOs that did the loans and we had a, a call center that would actually start filtering because on lead generation takes a little bit more work than a referral, right? So we had, we had kind of both sides. That was all the way back in 2010. Uh, the only thing that I didn't like about that at the time is that I never wanted to be a branch manager and I hated babysitting. And so that took a less, little under a year and I just folded that branch in with another friend of mine's branch and I just went back into origination. And that guy still, to this day, uh, hires that I had still work in that call center. Um, so it, it, it definitely works. There's definitely proof and evidence. Um, but I think that that space has changed too. There's so much more that you can do on your own. I mean, Facebook is the, the biggest one. Instagram is not letting you market. There's a lot of things that you can do today that I'm just now in the last year been you know kind of putting my toe in the water that way because we were doing it such a big scale before, but now I can do it on a on a me scale. And it, it yeah it. So do I play in in digital and lead generation and all that? Absolutely. Is it different than what I did before? Hundred percent. Let me ask you this question. Uh, I, I like this because I, like I said, I think you're literally the third lender out of 81 episodes. This is so embarrassing, but I want to talk about the business real quick. And let's let me yeah. ask a couple questions. I'm going to break it into groups. Give me the challenges that you, as a as a mortgage originator, face. First of all, with consumers. Well, let you give me one challenge with each of these groups. We'll start with consumers. What's your biggest challenge? Okay. Probably my biggest challenge with consumers is. Access to misinformation. That's probably my biggest challenge. You can do just enough research to find out what you think that you want to know that I have to sometimes, I have to wash the brainwash off of them yeah. and show them the, the, the real world. Because every single person that I talk to, I actually do care about getting them into a home loan. I, I just, I do. And if they come to me with a, expectation, I want to meet that expectation. If that expectation is misguided because of their research, that's fine. They're, they're a human being and they're a consumer, but we got to work to get through whatever that misguided expectation was and, and get through it together so that we can, you know, achieve with, which is the goal. They want a home loan. I provide home loans. Right. So, uh, it's not keyboard warrior. It's just, it's kind of like the People that go to WebMD and what do they call it, online doctor or whatever, you yeah. know that that phenomenon. Self-diagnosis, yeah, yeah. Self-diagnosis and self, you know, self-research and hey, I've read about this and hey, I've read about that. Well, yeah, you were just on the wrong path. Right. I didn't apply to this. That's probably the biggest thing. I know that you know I'm probably supposed to say over-regulation and that that just makes our job harder with timelines and milestones and all that. But right. with consumers, it really is just it's misinformation. It's misguided information. How about how about with uh, realtors? For the for the most part, the realtors that I work with, right? I've got a long relationship with, and I love those guys. And it's not that I love them because they're realtors and I'm a lender. It's because I take a freaking bullet for them because they know that we're friends. And uh, my business, I'm fortunate. My business is a little bit different. I don't serve customers, you know, realtors as customers. I we're in this. We're in this together. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And um, I think probably 
maybe push harder for me. There's, you know, I've got a, a, a fair number of agents that they don't want to somehow affect negatively affect their relationship with the client because they that client might have a prequal from their bank or their credit union or some online you know broker that the realtor knows is going to be a nightmare but they don't want to push the person that they know and that they trust and it's local and in many cases the listing agent that you make the offer with would probably rather see my prequal letter than the bank of Timbuktu but they just don't want to come across as pushy or challenge in any way that prequal because they don't want to negatively affect their relationship I think that there's a a, a professional way and I have a, a few agents that without fail that's great that's great that you have this, but you really should t at least talk to my guy, and this is why. But they know that this big bank is going to be processed and underwritten in another state. They know that it's probably not going to close on time. They know that there's a lot of things that even the listing agent that's going to receive that pre-qualification letter, right, they're going to look at that and go, oh, man, and they're going to get indigestion. Let me throw the last one at you. This is personal. Yeah. What's your uh, biggest challenge with title and escrow? The biggest challenge is probably the wrong word. I think that they're, and I'll just speak for our market here, and I'll speak, I do, I do loans in Seattle as well, and I have nothing but good experiences up there, and I have mostly great experiences here. I think that um, probably any challenge with title and escrow is the same challenge that you're going to have with a listing agent or a, you know, a buyer's agent or anybody else that's involved in the transaction. Man, if we don't have each other's back, at the end of the day, we're just trying to close a close a home loan or close a home or get a buyer into a home or an investment property or you know what have you. So let's let's all just kind of work together. The least amount of pain that I feel in my industry in the in my recent memory is title and escrow. Every now and then you run into uh, an escrow officer that you just don't click with or that is just lazy or just is not accommodating, but you run into that person in any part of the industry. And so you just you just know that, and you just put them on your list of people to watch out for. But title and escrow has been, at least in Arizona, I'm fortunate. So what's your favorite social network and why? Favorite social media or social network is is still, it's it's Facebook. It's where everybody is, and that's the reason why. It used to be Twitter. My entire business as as I know it today was spawned off of Twitter um, but Twitter in in my opinion is just a, extremely noisy it's very mainstream now and it's very hard to it's 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 just noisy Facebook is also noisy but it's very it's a lot easier to navigate the people that you want to see and the interests that you want to explore and it's a hell of a lot easier to market to um, there are some very strong opportunities to do some guerrilla marketing that don't cost a lot of money, third-party endorsements, things like that, that, I mean, you just can't get with a lot of the networks now. And that's, that's obviously talking to you from a business perspective, but, you know, you, you're sitting on a, you're waiting for a plane. There's two things that I go to. 
well, there's three things, email, Facebook, and then I go over to my Flipboard and just kind of read what's going on in whatever news it sends me. But email is not a social network and neither is Flipboard, so I don't go anywhere else anymore, and it's, it's Facebook. So Shane, I've had you here well over the half hour I asked you for, and it's um, we're recording this late at night, so I'm gonna get you. I want to get you back to your family, but I have to ask you my final question, and that is the same that I've asked everyone on the podcast. What's one piece of advice you would give a new agent just getting started in the business? A new realtor or a new lender or a new, either? A new realtor. Leverage, leverage social, leverage it. That's where all the the eyes and ears are. And in any time that you start a new a new business, everybody says, you know, get your sphere, work on your sphere. That's your network. Well, <laughs> we have a massive network now, so leverage that. Um, for realtors, don't stop telling people what you do. Tell everybody what you do. Open your mouth, share it. For lenders, honestly, it's the same advice. Just tell everybody. And I know that I just said that Facebook is my favorite. I am very antisocial in a social world because, you know, you talked about it earlier. I don't really do a lot of marketing. I'm very, you know, I, 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 I use it to build relationships. But do that. But do it with intention. Don't be a douchebag. Just be very sincere. Be very real. And, and leverage these networks that we have now to push your business. And don't be afraid to fake it until you make it. You're the professional. Get out there. Just go get it. Shane, if somebody wants to reach out to you uh, and ask you more questions or, I don't know, maybe even talk about a loan, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? You can, I mean, I can be reached anytime, 602-690-7581. That's my cell phone. Text me, call me, email me. If you Google me, you'll find me. There's there's one other Shane Hollenbach in the country, and he's a 17-year-old kid in Wyoming. You'll know that it's not him. Just find me. I like new friends. Call me. Shane, thank you so much for taking time out of your night to uh, to to talk with me and and really, really just kind of share a very interesting story. And I I can't wait to get back to the desert. Say hi to everybody again. It's been now about six weeks since we've uh, moved out east. And if I don't get back there, you know, you all know you're all welcome out here anytime, right? Yes, yes, we do. And we're actually, my wife and I are talking about it. Awesome. <laughs> but, you know, I'll be honest with you. I know that this has nothing to do with your podcast, but we're actually tired of seeing how much fun you and Cindy are having. So we're probably going to crash your party coming up. Awesome. All right. Well, I appreciate that. I, I, I look forward to it, and Cindy does too. So you, you have a good evening. Uh, you got it, brother. Talk to you.